Jesus to do. Do you see what I see? All week long, that title was, Do You Hear What I Hear? And if you were a person that happens to go to the Faith Life site that we use uh, here at the church, you would find that it was published this morning under the title, Do You Hear What I Hear? But it's actually titled, and God only revealed this to me just this morning, Do You See What I See? How many of you are easily distracted? Are you easily distracted? I'm going to talk about a distraction this morning in the message. I'll save that for you when we get there. But I am so easily distracted. It takes nothing for me uh, you know, to be doing something and then to find myself doing something else. We've had a little bit of heating problems here at the church. Not problems, just trying to, it's, it's kind of like a puzzle. We've just been dealing with a heating puzzle here. And I will go back in my office and begin to study for what I'm supposed to be doing for the service. And that will jump into my head. And, and it'll be up in, you know, room 103 or up in the North Meeting Room or down here in the Worship Center. And I'll have to get up because I can't think until I get that out of my head because I'm so easily distracted. It's my own mind that does it to me. You cannot focus on Jesus at Christmas if you are distracted by everything else. Let's look at this passage this morning, one verse at a time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, with God, and the Word was God. How many of you remember how Genesis 1 begins the Bible? In the beginning. If this sounds like a throwback to that, good for you, it is. But I want you to know that it doesn't mean, in the beginning, a specific point in time. Okay? It doesn't mean like, okay, right here, at this point, is when it began. No, because God is different than that. It means a timeless eternity that goes backward and forward in both directions. When Buzz Lightyear said to infinity beyond and beyond, you need to know that he was late to the game because that is God's way of dealing with time. He has existed forever. He shall exist forever. And his eternity, his scale of time is that way. What was it that was in that beginning of that timeless eternity. There was the Word. That's what John tells us. In the beginning was the Word. In the Greek language, that is logos. Logos. It means a spoken word. It refers to the meaning that is found in that spoken word. And in this passage this morning, it's talking about the personality that is expressed through that communicated word. When I was in school, in seminary, learning how to do what I do, they taught us that preaching is the proclamation of God's word, the good news, the gospel, if you would, the proclamation of the gospel through personality. So in other words, it would be the gospel proclaimed through who Joel is, who I am as a person. Here in this passage today, it's the spoken word as it refers to the personality expressing it in communication, and that is God. You want to know what God's like? Because this passage is referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word. It's going to talk about Jesus. You want to know what God's personality is like? Take a real short look at Jesus, and you will find out exactly what God is like. And the passage says, in the beginning was the word, 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God. That, that personality, that Word that was there in the beginning, has creative power to it, John's about to tell us. Psalmist had already said this. The psalmist had said in Psalm 33 and verse 6, By the Word, did you catch that? By the Word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth, all their hosts. God's Word has creative power and has called the universe into existence. John is telling us that the Word is the source of everything that you will see today, tomorrow, and in your lifetime. God is the, that Word is the source of which all that will ever be consists of. And John is telling everybody something here, not just the Jewish people, not Gentile people, not just Greek people, he is telling everybody that God, the Word, has significance for us. The incarnation of God's Word, the, the coming in the flesh, that's a big word, isn't it, incarnation? I shouldn't use that. The coming in human form of God's Word in Jesus is not just for a specific people or a specific location, it's for everybody. And when John tells us in this passage that the Word was with God, you've got to love this, it means that the Word was face-to-face -face with God. Face-to-face -face with God. And then it says, and the Word was God. Not another God, not just another created being in some same rank or, or whatever you want to give to it that God's in, but it is the same God. This Word was God. Not just similarity, but one, unity. And it says he was in the beginning. Now, if you want to know what that second verse is all about, have you ever had your mother, when you were a kid, repeat something to you twice for emphasis? You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? It's exactly what this is. John has just said, you know what I told you in verse 1? Let me say it again. He was in the beginning with God. Now, the reason this verse stands out for me, and some of you will know that I have my little quirks about certain passages of the Bible, but certainly by now some of you have caught on that John 8.58 is one of those quirks for me. In John 8.58, Jesus speaks. He's talking to the Pharisees, and he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. And you know that I talk about that all the time, that Jesus is saying I've existed eternally. That's what John's saying in this verse. John is saying he was in the beginning with God. And look at this. Here's that creative piece. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of humanity. Life, the, the Greek word there is zoe, and it means the very principle of life. And I will have to push you and stretch you a little bit to say to you that it's not just physical life, but it's spiritual life. In him was the best life. Remember I told you a moment ago that John's saying, if you want to know what God's like, the personality of God is expressed in the word who was Jesus Christ. Well, right here what I want you to see is that Christ expresses the perfect embodiment of what God sees life to be about. This is what life's supposed to be. Look at Jesus. 
It's, what it, it's how it ought to work. He's the benchmark. He is the life and the light of humanity. God's purpose and God's power are made available to us. Ultimately, our hope is made available to us in the person that Jesus was. And then John says that light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. I want you to know something here before I say anything about this. When it says the light, the darkness cannot overcome it, it means comprehend it. Now that is so very important. Uh, it, it's important because yes, the light cannot, uh, the darkness cannot conquer the light of Christ, but it also can't even comprehend it. You tuck that away in your mental notebook for a minute. Light and darkness represent the powers of good and evil. They were common metaphors used in the day that John was writing. Darkness cannot overcome the light of the word. That doesn't mean Satan doesn't try. That doesn't mean that those who encounter the light will not also encounter a spiritual battle with darkness. I'm going to stop here and illustrate this to you just because I think it's important. I think you need to think about this for a minute. It may not be key to the message, but it's key to your living, your spiritual life. Have you ever thought about the fact that every time, not every time, but nearly every time in the Gospels that Jesus is trying to communicate a spiritual truth to a crowd that doesn't know him, and sometimes even to those that do, they misunderstand him. Let me give you an illustration of that about four different ways. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees in the book of John in another place, and he says this, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said to him, it took 46 years to build that temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But then John tells us, but Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. You see, they're looking at it and saying, you mean to tell us this temple that took 46 years to build, if it's knocked down, you can rebuild it in three days? You're full of it. And Jesus says, no. No, what I'm talking about is this temple. I'm talking about Easter Sunday. I'm talking about what's going to ultimately happen to me. But you can't get it because the darkness is keeping you from getting it. Do you remember the story of Nicodemus? Now stay with me because I'm going to give you three more illustrations. This is so important to our spiritual walk. We need to understand when the darkness is trying to keep the light of Christ out of our lives. Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus uses this phrase. He says, you must be born again. You remember that? It's in John 3. It's a very simple and common phrase amongst Christian circles. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? This is, more, this, is, this is more close to what we're about, I think, what we often encounter. Jesus said you've got to be born again, and I'm going to tell you that most of you in this room know exactly what he's talking about. You've got to have a new relationship. You've got to ask for forgiveness, repent of your sins, ask Jesus in your heart and be born spiritually. So many of our day do the same thing. We don't understand, and the reason we don't understand is because we don't want to understand. If he changes us in that way, it means we've got to change something in our life. So we just say, I don't get it. That's what Nicodemus says. He says, 
you mean to tell me that now that I'm a grown, full human being, that I could enter into my mother's womb a second time to be born? And he missed it. The powers of darkness working on his thinking couldn't let him see exactly what Jesus was really talking about. You remember the lady at the well? She's at the well, and Jesus comes down. And they're having this conversation back and forth, and Jesus says, if you knew who it was that was talking to you right now, you'd ask of him, and he would give you living water. And that lady looked at him and said, sir, you have brought nothing to the well to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Jesus wasn't talking about what was 30 feet down under the ground. He's talking about himself. The bread of life is the living water. Do you remember the time when Lazarus, remember the story of Lazarus, John chapter 11, Lazarus is sick and they send for Jesus. They get to Jesus, his disciples are there. They say, Jesus, that guy that you know, that Lazarus that you like, he, he's sick. Jesus says this, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover well. But Jesus was speaking about his death, that they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. You see, every time that Jesus comes along and begins to speak about spiritual things, it seems like the darkness of this world wants to just clamp down on it so we don't get it, so we can't understand it. Even his disciples there said, we don't understand. You see, Satan will always seek to strive to shut out, to pull the blinds off, to close the, the door to the working of Christ's gospel in our lives. The truth is that Satan wants to block that light out with darkness. And it helps us to understand the next verse, which talks about John the Baptist. And here we go, that sixth verse. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Th this human agent, John the Baptist, is going to present the word of God to the world. How this chapter start the beginning was the word the word was with god the word was god here's this new introduction introduced character john the baptist and he is going to point out to the world exactly who he is you know there are people you ever have people that come and go in your life i once had a, a staff person that used to say to me you know joel the church is like a bus some people get on and some people get off, depending on where the bus is at. I never liked that. But I've got to admit to you that in our lives, there are people that come and go. They stumble in and then they stumble out. John didn't just come into Jesus' life. John didn't just come into this world. John didn't stumble into this story that John, the gospel writer, is telling us right now. Look at what it says. This man was sent from God. That is so important. The highest authority that there is has sent this man with a task and with a function. 
This man was sent from God. His name was John, and here's his function. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all would believe through him. That, that word witness or testimony, that is a word that John the Gospel writer loves. It's an attempt to establish testimony that, that Jesus is the Son of God. Go read sometime the things that John the Baptist said. All he repeatedly says is this, here's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, here's the Son of God, listen to him, he must increase, I must decrease, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. John's whole purpose was to say to the world, he was sent for this reason, here is who you've been waiting on. John is going to say that he is only the forerunner to that person. That this person that's coming, this word that John, the gospel writer, is talking about, he is going to give you so much more than I could. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. But before you meet him, you've got to repent. John says, I'm not that light. He's the light. I'm just telling you about him. I am a witness to who he was. And finally, in this passage this morning, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about that light. You see, John, as much as God, the Word, stepped out of heaven, stepped out of God's throne room into an earthly life, John the Baptist steps into humanity or into the world to point out or to testify to who God is as the light of the world, who Jesus is as the light of the world, and our need for Him. What have you learned dangerous question this is not a quiz and I'm not asking for a response I hope you've been listening but what have you learned today what have we learned about John 1 1 to 8 we've learned who God is we've heard, learned who Jesus was we've learned that he's eternal that he's creative that he spoke this world into existence with, with the words of his mouth then he stepped into that created world uh, in, the in the person of the living word Jesus Christ and ultimately, he has given life to the expression, don't just listen to what people say, but watch what they do. And what do you mean by that, Joel? As the living word, Jesus' life was going to express everything that God had been saying for centuries in what he did. John wants you, the, right, the gospel writer John wants you to see this creative word, Jesus, coming, stepping into the creation that he has created. The Lego master is about to get into the Lego. Now, I told you that John 1, 1 is another way, similar to a restatement of Genesis 1, where the Bible begins in the beginning. You know, have you ever realized what the climax of the creation story is. If you go read Genesis 1, you will find the very last verse, and I could take it there and read it to you now, but you go look on your own because I'm a little bit windy today. Genesis 1, the way that chapter ends is with the climax of the story. You know what the climax is? It's us. It's the creation of human life, human beings. But in John's gospel, the, the, the story that we just read, do you 
know what the climax is? It's the arrival of this human being that is God's word come in the flesh. In fact, if you really look close at the story this morning, what you will see is that Jesus coming in human form is the climax of the entire story. Go all the way back to Genesis 1 when the story begins to be written down. And what happens in John 1 with the birth of Jesus, of God's word coming into the world, what you find is what God had in mind in the first place. It's the point. It's the purpose. It's the reason. What has been happening in this story since the beginning, since the creation in Genesis 1, is that God has been speaking. He's been speaking with words. If you go read the book of Daniel, you'll find that one time God speaks by, by bringing a hand that just appeared out of nowhere and begins to write on the wall. That's where we get the expression, the writing on the wall. Read the handwriting on the wall. This hand just shows up and God writes on the wall a message to the people. You will find in the scriptures that a donkey speaks on behalf of God at one point. Over and over again in the scriptures, you will hear this phrase, this little compilation of words. The word of the Lord came to, and you can fill in the blank. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. The word of the Lord came to Moses. The word of the Lord came to Joshua. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Over and over and over again, God is speaking a string of intelligible words that meant something to the people of that day. Words. And if you think your words are important to communication, I want you to stop for a minute and consider how important God's words are. Over and over and over again he speaks. But we're distracted. So no one hears him. If they do hear him, they don't want to listen to him. And God knew it. He's patient. He's speaking over and over again down through the centuries. He speaks in this story from the beginning of creation time and again. He speaks to Adam and Eve. Don't eat from this one tree. Just enjoy the creation. He speaks and says, now that you've sinned, you are going to have to leave this, this beautiful paradise and it's going to be hard for you. He speaks and he says to Noah, things have gotten bad here. You've got to build a boat. We're going to do something you can't imagine. He speaks to Moses and says, Moses, you are the one I've chosen to lead the people up out of bondage. He speaks again and again to Israel with words. Intelligible, meaningful words. Time and again, people are distracted. People knew how important God thought those words were. L listen to this. I could, I could probably not read you this, but it's important that I read this to you. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 25. God speaks and says to Israel this. Listen to this. You will lay these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You will bind them as a sign on your in your hand. They will be like frontlets between your eyes. 
You should teach them to your children. You should talk to them when you're sitting in the house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children will be multiplied in the land that the Lord your, swore to your fathers to give them. God's words were important. Have you ever said to somebody, and I know everybody has, because these days everybody's walking around with a phone looking at it, but we say this, are you listening to me? Did you hear what I just said? Our words reveal our hearts, our minds, our intentions. And I want you to think about what John just told us. Jesus is God's word. He's revealing God's heart and his mind to us. Jesus turned to Philip one day and said this to him, Have I been with you so long and still you don't know me, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I almost guarantee you Philip had his iPhone out looking at him. Jesus is God's last word. He's the climax. That last line about the iPhone was a joke, okay, just so you know. Not what you think, that I believe Philip had an iPhone. Jesus is God's last word. Having spoken time and again through judges and prophets and kings and prophetesses, he now speaks his final word in Jesus. It's the reason the writer of Hebrews would say, long ago, listen close to this. This is Hebrews uh, uh, 1, verses 1 to 3. Listen close to this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. He upholds the universe by his word and his power. And after he made purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why do I want you to hear that? I want you to hear it because the church has come to believe that Jesus, the word of God, radiates God's glory, has thrown all this into order, has continued to shed his light and his keeping power upon us, and we've continued to not hear him. Why did God speak for centuries and centuries and they didn't get it? I'm going to submit to you that they were distracted. But I'm also going to submit to you that we are just 2,000 years out from Jesus. And we still don't really get it. And you have to ask the question, why? And in this passage this morning, John told us why. You were distracted. You weren't paying attention. So let me show it to you. It's in John 1, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness darkness has not overcome it the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot comprehend it I've taken up a new instrument can you imagine I'm learning an instrument at the age of 60 
make this a little fun for a minute. What instrument do you think the pastor's learning? I'll tell you, here's a funny one for those of you that know uh, a little bit about the organ upstairs in the church. My grandson has taken organ lessons. And the guy that used to tune our organ loves my grandson. I think I ought to be able to work a deal there. What do you think? But anyway, <laughs> I said to my daughter yesterday, I said, we need to get Easton in there and play that pipe organ. She said, I think you're going a little bit over the top, Dad. I said, no, I'm not. I'm learning an instrument. What instrument do you think the pastor's learning? Saxophone, Mark says. Anybody else? Drums, Eric says. Recorder. That's on my list. You're getting closer. You're getting real close. I bought a banjo. <laughs> Yeehaw! Do you know how hard it is for a 60-year-old man to comprehend, to learn a new thing? It's really hard for me. Well, let me give you the illustration I wanted to give you. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are sound asleep at home in your bedroom. You have pulled the blind so no street light or moonlight can come in. You have a totally dark room. Your lamp no longer works. In fact, no lights work in that room. Everything's kaput. The blinds cannot be opened. And you have reason to get out of bed and get out of that room, but it is pitch black. Now, I know what some of you have said. That is not a problem because you are one of those people that everything in your room is exactly where it's supposed to be. When you got into bed right now, you slipped your slippers underneath the bed so you wouldn't trip over them getting out. And you have said, Joel, this is not a problem for me, right? Some of you said that in your head, right? Okay, hold on. There's one more thing. The furniture has not only been moved in your room, it's still moving. Eric, this is your big time. In the darkened room where you can see nothing, you are effectively blind. Everything around you is moving in space. Your nightstand, your dressers, your knickknacks, your jewelry box, your slippers, your robe, and everything else that is in that room is randomly moving around the room. And you've got to get out. You desperately need light. You know, we should have put the blinds behind those curtains. That would have really helped you affect, helped you affect in this message. You can turn the lights back on, Eric. Before you go any further, I want to acknowledge something. I've gone to great lengths, absurd lengths, to make this difficult, right? This could never happen in your real life, or could it? And I want to submit to you that it does happen to all of us, every moment of nearly every day. And it has every day since the climax of the story in Genesis 1 when we were created. You see, the darkness 
that cannot comprehend God's light. The darkness, that's Satan's best effort to darken the light of Christ in our world. You want me to tell you what that darkness is? It's food. It's alcohol. It's drugs. It's internet pornography. Okay, so don't none of that's in my life. Okay. It's hobbies. It's good, unfulfilled intentions. It's bad relationships and the temptations that come with those relationships. It's COVID and it's cancer and it's careers. It's shopping, it's consuming, it's Amazon, it's Walmart, it's spending, it's paying bills. And get this, it might even be Christmas itself. Because everything that takes our eyes off of the true light of Christ and onto anything else is the darkness that is shutting down the light of Christ that's shining into our darkness. Yesterday, I had been to the hospital. I'm driving up 77 to go home. I'm going to get off at the Belden Village exit. I'm doing 65 mile an hour with a lot of traffic. It's Christmas. I look at my dash, and there behind the lens of my gauges, where my speedometer sits and all the lights and gauges on your car are, there was a stink bug in the gauge. Do you know what a stink bug is? I mean, that's horrifying to me. There's a stink bug in my F-150s. I mean, I posted on Facebook, and I, I took a picture of it. I said, I got to sell the truck. But when I'm driving down the road, I'm going 65 mile an hour, and that bug caught my eye, and I couldn't quit looking at it. Now, part of it, I'll admit, is I'm getting my phone out to get a picture of the bug that's in my gauge, but there's three lanes of traffic out there doing 65 mile an hour, because I'm not paying attention. I started slowing down, and traffic's getting off for 62, and then I'm up where traffic's getting on from 62, and I'm beginning to slow down my speed to about 45, but I don't realize it. And the next thing you know, I'm sinking over into the middle lane, not meaning to be there. You know why? I'm distracted. What distracts us from seeing the light that's shining in the darkness? It's all the darkness. It's the hobbies and the food and the sickness and the alcohol and the drugs and the shopping and the consuming and the COVID and the cancer and yes, even Christmas that blinds us to the very light that we need in our darkness. And we'll let that stuff fly around our room and hit us in the head while we try to do it ourselves. And we will do our best to try to get ourselves to where we think we're supposed to be by doing it the right way. And then we'll let that dresser full of COVID hit us. We'll let that rumor that we heard, it's, it's the, the night thing next to us, whack us in the side of the head. We'll do all this trying to do it ourselves. And we'll be distracted because we're focusing on everything else in the room that isn't the light that God has put there. Let me give you a hint about this trial of do what I was just talking about. Number one, you'll never make it. Something will hit you in the head in that darkened room. Twice. But hint number two, there's light in the room already, you just can't see it. 
And the reason you can't see it is because you're focusing on all that darkness that's floating around. We Methodists would call that provenient grace. It's God standing in the darkened rooms with us and saying to us, if you just look, I'm right here. If you just look, I'm the word that came into the world to shine into the darkness. But you can't see me right now because all you're thinking about is what's flying around you. All this stuff and everything that's on your mind and the Christmas lights and the snowmen and everything else. You see, God's been in our room the whole life. We've just focused on everything except him. He's been there all along. We could have been killed by that nightstand. But he saved us. We just keep focusing on all the wrong stuff instead of what God put dead set in front of us to see. And that is his word. That was the problem for Israel in the Old Testament. That was the problem for Adam and Eve in the garden. That's been the problem down through history. And God's climax is, I'm going to give you Jesus. And here it is standing right in front of us. And we're looking him in the face and he's looking right at us. But all we see is the darkness. Because Satan doesn't want us to see that light that God's put there. That brings me to my bottom line. When you focus on all the distractions, you will miss the main attraction, and that is Jesus. Remember that passage I said to you I didn't have to read to you from Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 to 25? I want to recite it again just a little bit differently because Deuteronomy 11, 18, 25 was given to Israel early in their life in this world, and they never saw the way they should have the light that God was giving them. Jesus is a relatively recent event in the eternity in which we exist. Here's how I'd restate it. You shall lay up this word, Jesus, in your heart and in your soul. And you should bind him as a sign on your hand. And he shall be before your eyes. You shall teach him to your children. You will talk of him when you're not sure if you can continue on. And when you're walking through the most difficult of circumstances, you will rest in his peace. And you, when you wake up each new day, you will write on the welcome mat of your home and on the refrigerator door his name, Jesus, so that your life and the lives of those you love may be many and may be eternal. The writer of Hebrews said this, Seeing that we are encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that God has set before us. Looking to Jesus. Did you hear that? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are called to look, church, for Jesus. Not at the problems, not at the heartaches, not at the distractions, not at the darkness, not at the this and not at the that. We are called to look to Jesus, God's word. Jesus said this, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him would have eternal life. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone that looks on the word of God 
and believed in him should have eternal life. Church, there are certain things we do during this season called Advent. But there's one thing we must do. And that is keep our focus upon Jesus, the light of the world that God has given to us at this time and at this day so that we can live in a world of darkness as the light to the world. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn, psalm, whatever it is. I woke up this morning with the normal feeling of loss. It's not like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. Whatever the feeling was, I wanted it to go away. Within an hour of waking up, the feeling seems to vanish. Coffee can do it, catching up on sports, and by the time I check my email, I'm good. At least I'm full for the present. The feeling, whatever it was, is gone. But quite easily, I slip back into the empty not the next hour, the next day. Technology gives me the quickest, most instantly gratifying fix. That's why I like social media. All I really need is one like on Instagram, and I'm golden. Facebook can do it too, as long as it's about me. And I look on Twitter to get my sarcasm fill for the day. It doesn't really take much. But it doesn't really last long either. If social media doesn't do it, music always fills me up. Especially when I'm driving. I got my tunes, the open road, and I can listen to whatever I want. I rock the same songs over and over again. I was empty. Now I'm filled. I have millions of ways to fill up. TV, movies, or beach vacations, alcohol, cars, home improvements, accolades at work. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button or the drop of a hat, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, Cat Penley. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full. God, I picked that out, and if I could put the final line on that, what it would be is, what distracts you because your darkness will be different than my darkness but it doesn't change the fact that it's darkness focus on the distractions you miss him amen let's sing